Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we go over the Golden Globe controversy. We do reviews for Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, and Spiral director Darren Bozeman joins the show for an interview. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you you love your credit card rewards? Tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 164 of Real Blend, a podcast that congratulates Nomadland on being the very last Golden Globes winner <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm Sean O'Connell. The managing editor here at Cinema Blend and co-host of the Real Blend podcast on this week's show, the Golden Globe Golden Globe controversy. Boy, that's hard to say. Uh, Army of the Dead reviews and Spiral director Darren Bozeman is going to join the show for an interview. Um, and of course, I have to get to the other hosts of the show, starting with Fox 32 Chicago's Jake Hamilton. Hi, Jake. How are you? I got to be honest with you. It makes me weirdly happy that you stumbled on Golden Globe controversy because I had to yes. say it all morning on live TV and stumbled also doing every it? time <laughs> on Golden Globe controversy. I just I yeah. couldn't. Finally, I was just like, I'm just going to change the script. Like you, controversy surrounding the Golden Globes. You so, can say Golden Globes with no issue. Yeah. But, but Golden Globe controversy is, yeah. is uh, that's, it's a, that's a, a tongue twister. It's a mouthful. Uh, in the th- third chair, joining us is uh, Gabe Kovach. Hi, Gabe. How are you? How's it going, guys? Happy to be here. Uh, Gabe is filling in. Gabe is filling in for Kev, who wasn't able to make the show this week. Um, we send all of our best wishes to Kev and welcome him back very, very soon. Um, we're going to get to housekeeping. If you're watching us on YouTube, where you can see our smiling faces, hello. Uh, hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. Do all the things that you do on a normal YouTube page. If you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, head to the description area where we have a lot of cool information about the show, including how to subscribe to the Real Blend Premium episodes, which drop on Monday. And in order to do that, this is an ad-free version of the show. Uh, you get an extra segment with us each week. This week, we're going to be doing a two-film challenge, which is a yeah. fun game that Gabe brought up a while back. And uh, we played it once before, and twice this will before. be our second time through. Twice before? Yeah, we've done... Well, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I think we've done directors and actors, and okay. this coming Monday, we are doing screenwriters. Yeah. Uh, tell them how the two-film challenge works, Gabe. Oh, it's so fun. I it's such a good idea. present a filmmaker, actor, director, whatever the category might be, and uh, we have to decide which two of their films we would uh, introduce someone to their work with. So the two sort of like definitive creations of theirs. It's it is fun. very fun. And in order to I, hear the premium... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I picture like aliens in this hypothetical. Like that, that's how it is in my mind. Like if aliens were to come to Earth and we were to introduce right. Tom Hanks to like yeah. what are the films you would, you know, I, I take it a step further. It gets very dramatic in, in my head whenever we play this game because I always oh, think yeah. like, like the matter, it's a matter of life and death to make sure that we pick the right films. <laughs> and it's worth noting that no matter who the subject is, Jake always picks Tom Hanks films. It doesn't matter. Whatever it's it true. is. Yeah, he's like oh, Road to Perdition. It's like I'm, uh, Road to Pr- Quentin <laughs> Tarantino Crown. didn't direct that. I know. But... Larry Crow. All right. So in order to hear all of the premium goodness, go to bit.ly backslash Blend Premium. Um, but yes, what's the matter? What are you laughing at? I'm just picturing Tom Hanks in a Quentin Tarantino film. Like, I don't. <laughs> I would love to see it, but I don't know if 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 if. if 
it would ever work. It doesn't. It doesn't. It wouldn't work. If Tarantino had directed, if Tarantino had directed Lady Killers, that's the name of that movie, right? Lady Killers. Oh yeah, yeah. that would have been an enjoyable movie, right? That would have been cool. But that's what I kind of jumped to. Like I jumped to Tom Hanks going out of his comfort zone and pairing with the Coen brothers and getting a disaster. Like I think Hanks <laughs> okay, only works. But that's not. But that wasn't Tom Hanks. Like Tom Hanks was great in that movie. It just was a poorly. Mm, was he? He was. He was. Mm. You you know how you know how how it, you can your tell it's true. Your bias is showing there. You can tell it's true because I said it. True. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and we trust your opinion on Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks more yeah. than anything else. That is not not biased in the least bit. Um, let's get to a weekly poll. And listen, I know I'm wearing a Spider-Man shirt. It has nothing to do with the fact of the weekly poll. I just wear a lot of Spider-Man <laughs> shirts. That's um, true. <laughs> yes, pretty much. If you watch the show on YouTube, you understand that. Uh, we put up as a weekly poll. Now that Andrew Garfield has spoken. Uh, what do you think? Will No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is coming out in December, feature more than one Spider-Man? So to give you guys some clarification on this, uh, Andrew Garfield was doing press for a movie he has coming out. He went on Josh Horowitz's podcast, the great Josh Horowitz, big fan, uh, and was asked about the Spider-Man rumors that are going around. And Andrew Garfield, very um, actorly, I guess is a way to put it, uh, pushed the rumors away and said, oh, there's nothing to spoil. Uh, I'm not in it. I feel like I'm playing a game of mafia where everybody keeps dancing around. The fact that whether I'm Which I've never heard not, that game of that game before. That was that was my first time learning well, about that game. I've definitely heard of mafia, but I didn't hear of whatever he was calling it first. The werewolf. I've never heard of a werewolf game. So the point being, one person is the criminal and you have to pretend not that you're not the person kind of thing right. by constantly denying when you get asked certain questions. And it's whether you can sell the fact that you are not the Mafia member. And so he's trying to sell the fact that he's not in Spider-Man. Um, we gave you guys options about whether you believe Andrew Garfield or not. And Gabe, I'm going to... Oh, well, I can't. Every time. Damn it. Damn uh, it. Every <laughs> I was just about to get so excited. Like, ooh, Gabe gets to answer. No, and the... Re it's, yeah, every time. Every time. <laughs> I figure I'll mix it up because you're joining the show. Yeah. And then I, as soon as I say it, I remember that you put the, you put put the notes there. in there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, Jake, you get to go. Uh, the <laughs> options for whether... Spider-Man No Way Home is going to feature more than one Spider-Man, meaning we know Tom Holland is in it. Mm -hmm. Do you think Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are in it? And I'm going to, you have to pick what the readers or the listeners said. Uh, the choices are definitely, the choices are not happening, and the third option is, I'm just confused by all of this. I feel like because we've gotten so many mixed bags that a majority of people, if they're being honest, would say that they're just so confused by all this. Okay. Uh, now, that, now, people might say definitely just because they're being hopeful, right? And they're sometimes sometimes I feel like people answer less than truthfully in terms of how they're actually feeling. Okay. Okay. Well, definitely one. Definitely got fifty five percent. It's not definitely. It's, it's absolutely definitely not. not definitely. Yeah, it's not. And I I'm just confused by all this. Got thirty two percent. So um, ah. so maybe we should break all this down. There have been a lot of rumors about these two guys being in it, but the but the evidence of them is like Tobey Maguire was photographed picking up his dry cleaning in West Hollywood and he looks like he's been working out. Or Andrew Garfield's stunt double uh, is on Instagram and he says he's in Atlanta. Or one guy was like a DoorDash driver who tweeted, I just delivered food to that guy who played Spider-Man. <laughs> and everyone was like, 
It's a lot He's of talking guys. about Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah, right. So there's not been a lot of concrete evidence, but at the same time, Sony and Marvel are really keeping a lid on this. And the reason why they would be able to be in it is because of the idea of the multiverse and different versions of Spider-Man yeah. would be able to come through. And we already have heard that Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx, who played villains in the previous Sony versions are going to be in this movie. So naturally you'd think that their Spider-Man would follow you. Uh, G- Gabe, you can play this part. Which which would you vote? Where of those three options? I think you personally. I think not happening because a okay. baseless theory of mine is that there is truth to the idea of the two Spider-Man coming back. But I wonder if with the way Marvel deals with secrets, it's just sort of been convoluted in No Way Home. But really, we're going to get some version of them in like Doctor Strange with Sam Raimi. Like, I wonder if it, the whole, like, oh, I'm definitely not in Spider-Man is the fun Marvel misdirect, but it's like, it's because he's in Doctor Strange. Okay. With the whole multiverse Jakey, what about you? I, I'm also in, in the camp of, I think it's going to happen. I'm just not certain it's going to happen in No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're going to introduce Alfred, uh, Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx, you have to acknowledge that they come from a universe in which Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire exist. Yeah. I think we are doing exactly what we did with WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is promise ourselves that these things were going to happen. Um, you look at, you know, how many people were just knew Chris Evans was going to show up in Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier. You just mm-hmm. knew how many people were going to just knew that um, that Doctor Strange was going to show up in WandaVision. And it didn't. And that's what I'm afraid of doing. Like, I'm excited for No Way Home. But I don't want to unnecessarily blame it for not delivering it on for not delivering on something it was never going to deliver on in the first place. I don't want Mm -hmm. to hype myself up for this big Spider-Man moment and then be given a really great movie and walk out disappointed because that thing I imagined in my head didn't happen. I think it's inevitably going to happen. And I really like your idea of them setting up the Sinister Six and that being the reason that mm-hmm. we need to bring the other Spider-Men together. I think that's a really cool idea. That is cool. Um, so I, I I am content with the idea of it's it's going to happen one day. I'm just not content with the idea that it's going to happen this year. I a little bit like the idea of introducing them in Doctor Strange because Raimi's directing it. I you love know, the idea. Raimi bringing back his yeah. Toby yeah. would be, that's pretty fascinating. But it'd be, mm-hmm. I just wonder if it'd be strange for people, no pun intended. Uh, to go to a Doctor Strange movie and then get the two Spider-Men. Well, Doctor Strange when, and Tom Holland had a great connection in Endgame. Like they had a or, yes. or Infinity War. Um, yeah. And Benedict Cumberbatch is in No Way Home. Like that's been confirmed yes. also. So, I yeah, mean, so. I, I love the idea of them being tied together. And I do feel like Doctor Strange is kind of the new Tony Stark in this sense. Oh, interesting. Like okay. he kind of feels like the natural leader of whatever mm-hmm. comes next kind of group. He's very powerful. He's very smart. Um, mm-hmm. so I kind of, not that he would have the same role as Tony in Tom Holland's Spider-Man, uh, but I kind of see how that relationship just feels natural for, for fans. Just to divert for a hot second. Did you guys hear the story today about Emily Blunt? Um, and I know she was up for the role of, Black I Widow. know as soon as I saw that, I thought, does that mean she's not doing fantastic Four? or oh, I'm sorry. Tell the story. Well, not just that, not that, although she did, she did deny that necessarily too. Um, and kind of said in the process of answering that, uh, that they're not doing Fantastic Four, where she kind of said like, I don't really like superhero movies. <laughs> she's like, I've seen a, f- a few of them, but they just do nothing for me. She's like, they leave me really cold. Now she, that could be total bait and switch, you know, <laughs> who knows? Um, but more importantly, like, she she, like maybe she needs a brother to, uh, 
to turn on the heat. Maybe, uh. yes. Oh, there. That's <laughs> pretty clever. She explained in greater detail why she didn't really get to do Black Widow, and it's because she had to do Gulliver's Travels with Chad Black. <laughs> because she had done uh, The Devil Wears Prada for Fox, and in her contract at that point, because she was still a very young actress, but not a lot of weight to throw around, she had a next film option clause in her mm. contract. And Fox was holding her feet to the fire of you're going to do the next uh, project that we have lined up for you kind of thing. And so Gulliver's Travels prevented her from being Black Widow. And now she's come out and basically said, like, I, I really wanted that. She's like, I wanted to work with Downey Jr. And, you know, that that role would have been great. So that hurts. But that OK, hurts but lot. would she have just wanted to do it for what was it? Iron Man 2 at the time? Well, that's when that's when yeah. she got introduced. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, would she have been OK committing a massive chunk of her career to what she would have had to end up committing to? Um, I don't know. Those paychecks are great. They're fantastic. Oh, oh like her and Krasinski are really hurting. Um, well, now they aren't. But who's to say that wasn't a guarantee? You know, do you do you think it ultimately ended up being better for her that she didn't do that? Like, like, do you yes. think we got pro, like great projects from her that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, gotten have gotten if she had been tied in, to? We wouldn't have gotten her in Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, Edge which of tomorrow, I think she's is amazing. Genius. In. Yeah. 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 No, I, yes. I mean, it clearly worked out for everybody involved, but yeah. it just it just hurt my soul that to know that this poor girl travels. Wanted a role. That is a movie probably had you not mentioned today. I right. would have gone to the grave for it, like uh, having forgot existed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many films do you think we've all seen that we just have completely forgotten? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I have forgotten the amount of films I've forgotten. Yeah, very true. All right. Well, um, this week, the Saw franchise is continuing. Um, Jake, is, you're a fan of this franchise in general, right? I'm a fan of the beginning of the franchise. Oh, right. You like the first couple of movies yeah. in it. Well, Darren Bozeman, who is directing oh. Spiral... Um, which is Daenerys, calm down. Which, Daenerys uh, hates them. Yeah. Co-stars or stars Chris Rock and co-star Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Darren Bozeman directed Saw 2, 3, and 4, so absolutely knows his way around the franchise. Uh, this is a really fun interview, whether you're a fan of the Saw franchise or not. Darren really likes to explain uh, his love for the franchise and the way that he approaches it. Uh, Gabe, so the visual element of this is going to be added later. How does this work out? Because he ended up showing us a ton of really cool props. Yes. Yeah. So keep an Saul, eye on our, so. our YouTube channel um, this weekend. I will drop a, a longer, I think it ended up being like 10 minutes. We ended up getting some extra time with him because he was just having fun showing us stuff. Um, but it will include spoiler talk, which is not included in this week's episode. Uh, so go in with no worries. Um, it'll have some spoiler talk about the ending. and uh, And then he spins like five or eight minutes just showing us these gross awesome props from from the franchise yeah, that he's like, collected like and ears and fingers, fingers and a jigsaw puzzle it's fun. yeah it's fun stuff uh, a jigsaw doll yeah yeah it's really fun so keep an eye on our socials for that reason and then uh without further ado the real blind interview with spiral director darren bozeman yeah awesome. well uh first of all congratulations to you thank you so much for joining our our podcast um there's an art form in the saw films to revealing the trap that very quick camera jerk and then there's an edit to it like that sound effect that design as we kind of like go out and then get reveal the whole trap to the audience can you talk about the art of that reveal kind of what that shot takes on the day kind of what take what it takes in, in terms of the edit like are you actually moving the camera quickly or is that all done in post like how do you how, how are those done in the saw movies 
I mean, when I started off, I was very lucky to be able to shoot film. So when we did a saw two, three, and four, it was all 35 millimeter. And so we would actually use flash frames, camera ramps, and lens shakes. So everything you saw in the initial were all legit done that way where I would, and it was funny because when I did saw two, um, James didn't do a lot of that stuff in the first saw. So people thought I was, I was like, turn off, turn the camera off. And they're like, we're shooting, they'll lose sync. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Turn the camera off as you're pushing in. And that would create those vivid bursts and the, the really quick kind of juddery moves in. Um, what, what I think I started off as an editor. So I always thought about the edit and how as an editor, I would do things. So I always thought like I would put like a huge, you know, 50 foot dolly track straight in and I would slowly push in and then I would start the scene and they'd be like, I remember the, the, the producer was like, you're going to cut all that out. You're going to cut it all out. I was like, no, I'm not. And uh, we got in a post and I would ramp that 110% and then I would stop for a second and then go in again. So um, the initial saw films, that's what we would do. We would think of really, I would think of the edit first. Um, you know, originally 360s were a huge part of it that we would go on Steadicam and we 360 and literally we would have a guy next to the camera uh, with the, holding the lens, shaking the lens as he was going around. So only in a saw movie can you lose focus and it, it not matter. So I mean, we, would do, we would do things like that. Coming back on this saw um, spiral, we shot it in HD, obviously. So, so some of those tricks you couldn't do. Um, not only with the, the style of cameras, but it just didn't work that way. So we had to manufacture a lot of that, uh, you know, in post to be able to create some of the same things we were able to do in camera, you know, a decade ago. Wow. That's wow. interesting. I, that's, well, thank you for sharing that. That's interesting. Yeah, I know you don't know us and you probably don't know our body. Your answer was probably music to Kevin's ears because Kevin is such a fan of film and he's yeah. been a champion <laughs> of, of film-based filmmaking. Um, so I actually have a question because I'm a huge fan of, I, I'm, I'm messed up in that way. I love the, the torture death traps throughout the film. And I, I think they can get really creative and they're always fun to see what you guys do. I'm curious, one, what the think tank for those things is like, like what the room is like where all of you guys are trying to come up with the next torture trap and how have there ever been any in your years with this series where someone came up with one and then you said like, we can't, we can't do that. What the hell is wrong with you? Like that's, that's, that's way too far. Well, I mean, it, there was an entire, and I don't know when this podcast is coming out. So I don't know if it's before the movie or after the movie, but probably before. So you might want to protect some stuff. Okay. Well, there has been scenes in, in, in all of our films that never made the edits, um, including this one, including an entire death sequence. Uh, so I'll leave it at that and not tell you where it existed or who it was. Um, but can you yeah, tell us what the, like, can you explain like what the death trap what the was? trap was? Yeah. No, because I, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I shot something in saw four. They ended up using in saw five. So, oh, um, so I'll just say that, 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 that the, the process is not what you think it is. And it, it's, it's like all things in filmmaking laborious and anticlimactic. Uh, only when you see it on screen is like, oh, that looks cool. Um, but, you know, on this, every time we do a Saw film, uh, there are gaps in the script. So you'll, you'll read the script and it'll say, you know, Jigsaw, Jigsaw captures a person and puts him in. And then it would say, uh, trap one coming soon. And then it would say person dies. And then it would go on to the narrative. The traps are the very last thing that we did always. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and I think the reason for that is, is the more we would develop the script and the more that we would um, understand the characters, uh, the more the trap would kind of find itself in what, what they did wrong, how they spoke, anything like that. 
So, you know, the, the trap are always the very last thing that goes in the, in the script. In fact, I think the first draft of this movie I read, Spiral, I'm trying to think if any of them remained, like if any of the traps that were written or what we actually did, and I don't think they were. I think everyone was changed numerous times throughout, throughout the process. Um, I mean, there was, there was one trap in the original film that dealt with like a swimming pool and rats. And like, there were just like, the, the traps are sort of ridiculous at start. Um, oh, but then they I go can't to, stand rats. Yeah, it was a pretty bad one. I mean, it was horrific. Uh, there is, there are, you know, there, there's a procedure we go through. And what we go through is um, myself and the production designer will sit around and we will think of, you know, interesting ways to someone to die. And it's getting harder when you're on a ninth film about how do you, how do, you do something that someone can actually get themselves out of. Uh, then it goes to an engineer and we say, can this actually be built? Can you build this from a scrapyard or Home Depot? And if it cannot be built through a scrapyard or like a Home Depot thing, then we won't, we'll, we won't, at least I won't do it. So like, I don't, I don't want to trash on other saw films, but when I saw lasers being used in the saw film, I was like, no, we got to go back. It's got, you can't have laser beams. Um, so at least the mandate on the ones I did were they had to have been built and completed by things that as a consumer can actually come across, whether that be gears or pulley systems. Um, and then they actually had to work the way that we portray it working on screen. So if we show it doing something, the trap has to actually do that. So we would never use visual effects as part of the trap. They can only like remove bloodlines. So the traps actually, if you see a trap moving and gears moving, they actually are moving and gears are actually doing that. Not to overthink this, but the Saw franchise is absolutely one of these ones that exists in a cinematic universe. And we pay a lot of attention to the way that sequels connect with each other um, and build off of each other. And the Saw franchise has absolutely been able to do that. But when you get people like Chris Rock and Sam Jackson to appear in your latest one, there's a very real chance that someone who might have avoided the Saw franchise up to this point is finally going to say like, Oh, all right. I want to see those two guys, you know, in a Saw movie. So how much thought has to go into and what did you do to prepare for the fact that this might be someone's first time coming into the universe? How do you make it work for them, too? I don't think that I would have been interested returning to just do another sequel. Um, there's a million guys that could do that. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that that's not the challenge. The challenge is, is. Can you, and again, the cinematic universe, I mean, Marvel does it so great. Conjuring universe does it where this, this exists in the same universe of which Jigsaw was real, uh, but it's not about Jigsaw. It's not about that. It's about something completely different. So, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to make sure of is that a fan coming in for the first time did not see, did not need to see the previous eight films. Um, that they could watch this independently without the knowledge of the complicated dense mythology. However, if you are a fan of the franchise, it would have benchmarks that you knew that you wanted to see traps, a twist, all of that. Um, so that was, that was how we started it off. The hope is, is that you, you, we are going to pull in a new audience with this. I mean, when you put, you know, Chris Rock, Samuel Jackson, Max Minghella, when you put them in a song movie, the hope would be that you, they bring their fan base in, and they say, okay, this, this is cool. Let's go back and see where it started. Uh, and then you introduce them. So it's a gateway to kind of more of the torturous type of films. Um, so that, that's our hope. And I think we, you know, just, just even as of right now, we are seeing um, a lot of chatter from audiences that would never see a Saw movie about wanting to go see this. Um, which, I mean, it was funny. Uh, a friend of mine, it's on my Instagram right now, sent me something today from the AARP magazine that's promoting it. <laughs> 
And I'm just like, that's hilarious. Like we're in an AR. So, you know, I, I think it's a more mainstream audience. And I think that that, that was a challenge filming because, you know, there were things that, you know, knowing that we're bringing in someone like Chris and Sam, um, it's, we had to, we had to cater to, to that a little bit. We can't have it be as gratuitous as past films. It, it was, we knew it was going to be a summer movie when we were making it. So we can't go as extreme and I don't think we need to as well. I think that, you know, it's, we're not in the same place in the world that we were 14, 15 years ago when these types of movies were being made. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a great gateway drug into the Saw universe that continues the mythology, but is its own unique thing. You know, Dar- Darren, um, as, as film fans, I think we're, a lot of people are going to notice a lot of Pulp Fiction references in the film. There's a, literally a Vincent Jules uh, element. <laughs> on, uh, and I, I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Chris Rock's character's full name is Ezekiel, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. So are, are those, I mean, are, those are obviously conscious decisions considering you have Sam Jackson in the film. So I just wanted to ask about the Vincent Jules thing particularly, but also it's now it's almost like standard now that Sam Jackson's going to say MF in his movies. Uh, and I just wanted to know as a director to be able to direct him and actually say that. First off, you don't direct Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson just comes on and he's Sam Jackson. That's uh, I'm joking. We've um, heard so, that from so many directors. You have to understand that. Yeah, yeah. We've interviewed multiple directors who've directed Sam and they basically say, you're going to get three takes. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be good. But well, they they must have been very lucky to get three takes. I felt good after I got one. I was like, Is uh, there a celebration when he, when you get to hear him say mf in your movie, though? There has to be, right? Yeah, it was the very first thing he said. It was the very first take of the very... It was funny. He goes... Um, he shows up on set, and uh, he does the line, and then he stops. He looks at the camera, and he goes, you got your motherfucker. We're done. I'm out. And like, uh, so, I knew it. Yeah, no, it was. So, so the, the Pulp Fiction thing is funny because the Vincent Jules thing, I didn't even notice until we were on set rehearsing it uh, on that huh. one. Uh, so I didn't realize that. And, and ironically enough, I'm trying to think of Zeke. No, Zeke was always in the script, even pre-Sam Jackson. So those are two insane coincidences. No, that's wrong. The Vincent and Jules thing was absolutely a Pulp Fiction thing, but not by me. That was from the art department. But they all knew I talk about Pulp Fiction constantly. It's one of my favorite. And I, I've talked about it in interviews that it was the one film to me that made me really decide on a career path to be a director because I remember sneaking out of school numerous times to see it. And I would see the first movie as well that I watched repetitively on a week. So it means I would go Monday, Wednesday, Friday to see Pulp Fiction wow. because it was the embodiment of cool to me. And it also, it was something I wanted to bring my friends to the theater to see it with me, to watch their reactions. Mm. And I realized that I mean, I had always seen movies growing up and through a teenager, but nothing that had an impact yeah. on me like that. So and it was funny because um, one of the days that, that Sam was there, he was sitting around telling stories about Pulp Fiction. And here I am thinking I knew every story about Pulp Fiction. I have every book on Quentin Tarantino and I'm hearing stories I've never heard before. And I'm like, oh my God, this is... This is then I then I'm on a Saw movie with Samuel Jackson. It's already weird, let alone hearing Pulp Fiction stories, which is which is crazy. Wow! Any any stories that you remember you could share? No, I don't feel comfortable. I, I'm t- Sam Jackson terrifies me to a, to a point that I cannot articulate. <laughs> me too. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's an inti- he's aw- by the way he's you guys have seen the movie. He's awesome. I mean, he's Sam motherfucking Jackson. Uh, but I'm so 
intimidated by the persona of every character he's played. And I remember there was a moment um, where Chris had to pull a gun and it just didn't look real. Um, you know, Chris is a comedian and he's getting into this dramatic acting. And I remember Sam stands up, he looks at me, he, he's just so intimidating. He looks at me at Video Village, like, are you gonna do something? And then I turn to the stunt guy and I said, I don't know how to pull a gun. And Sam goes, I got this. And he walks over and like does a full on like training course because he's been, think about how many guns he's handled in movies. Sure. You know, it was this awesome moment of watching Sam work with Chris on how SWAT team would move, how police would move. Uh, so it was a it was a crazy experience. Cool. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Darren, you know, one of the, the great traditions of, of the Saw movies is at the end when there is the reveal and we kind of figure out sort of what's been going on. Do we realize that there were moments and lines and, and just little little kind of glimpses that were clues all along that we didn't realize that maybe at the time we just thought that they were throwaway. We didn't think much about them. I'm curious as to the art of directing those moments, not putting too much emphasis on them, oh. but but knowing in that moment, this little line that the audience isn't even gonna think about in that moment is gonna be such I, a big clue and you don't wanna like zoom in on the guy. Oh my God, so this was a massive, massive, massive battle. Probably one of the hardest things that I had to deal with this time. Um, when, okay, so I've made four, this is my fourth Saw movie. And so those moments are, fans eat those up. They are hugely important. But to an actor, they seem kind of gimmicky. They're like, so an example is um, one of the lines that you're speaking about had to be worded a very particular way. And it's not the way people normally talk, but if you didn't have it worded in this specific way, it wouldn't make sense. So one of the great things about what they do is they're all double entendres. The audience mm -hmm. will hear them and think they mean one thing, but when they rewatch them, they mean something else. An example, Jigsaw says to Detective Matthews in Saw 2, your son is safe your son is in a safe place and his son is in a safe next to him. But we as an audience aren't assuming that. So there were, there were numerous times throughout the movie that the, the actors would come in and they would have crossed out the line and rewritten it to make it sound more natural. And I said, no, you can't say it like that. And their, their response is it's saying the same thing. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not saying the same thing. That little, that little contraction that you took away changes everything. And so um, I had to do the classic thing what you, do, you hear a lot about is, okay, I'll shoot it your way and I'll give me one my way, knowing that I needed my way to do it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult because some of those are weird and an actor's job is to make it sound believable, to make it sound real. And we've written some ridiculous lines in there because they have to service the payoff at the end. So it, that, that actually was a challenge in trying to just get people in the headspace to understand why saying it like that is important because it's not about one line, it's about when you add those 12 or 14 lines together, they tell a story. So, mm -hmm. so we actually, um, in the script, we, we had the ending that we had figured out and the, the reveal with the classic Hello Zep theme song, we would act it out. Myself, Josh, the writer, and Pete, we would act it out and we knew how it was supposed to be. And so like, for example, you take one line from character A, one line from character B, one line from character C, and then you have this really cool payoff. But if three of the actors don't want to say those lines, they leave holes in the in the logic and the reveal. So, yeah, that is that is that is definitely a dance. Wow, that's interesting. Wow. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thought of it that. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. um, Darren, we've been doing this show for several years, and uh, one of the conversations that we routinely uh, return to is how awful Forrest Gump is. Uh, I'm the only one Wait, on the show uh, that, that uh, yeah, thinks Forrest that. Gump. Yeah, I'm the one who thinks that Forrest Gump is awful, and that Jenny might be one of the worst characters. Uh, in Hollywood history. 
Yeah. Um, so I laughed my ass off that you have this great bit, you know, this dialogue bit. I got to know where the origin of this came from. It's I'll tell you like Chris exactly. Rock material. Well, first, let me tell you exactly that. And this is what was so great about working with Rock is first off, he's a filmmaker, right? He's a director. Um, he's an actor and he's a comedian. So you put those three things together. He comes in one day and originally that scene wasn't in the movie. And I said to the writers, we need a better introduction to, to Chris. And I think originally it was written that he, he like, he was arresting someone in a weed store or something. And it was very kind of anticlimactic. And he goes, no, no, no. And he goes, Forrest Gump. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, let's do, let's do a bit on Forrest Gump. And I was like, no, we have to think of a cool way to introduce your movie. And he goes, no, I got it. Give me 24 hours. And he comes back 24 hours later with like five pages and was like this. And I was like, that's awesome. And so, oh my God. yeah, he, uh, that was just something we were already filming, by the way. I think we were already in like the second week of production when he came to us with that. Then we had to realize, okay, we have to take over an entire hotel, men with guns in a hotel, a car in an elevator. Like it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Wow, that's well, a really elaborate scene. Dude. Yeah, just that's a great scene. So wait, wait, where do you fall on the Forrest Gump? Uh, so you know what's funny is I've gone back in in revisited movies that as a as a growing up had an impact on me. Now those those could be Highlander or Titanic, and I'm going to laugh about Titanic, and I'll come back to that one or Forrest Gump. And then I watch them again now, and a lot of those movies do not hold up to me or feel schmaltzy, uh, and. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing is I have fond memories of watching Forrest Gump as a teenager in a theater, right, but right. Jenny, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to agree with you. Jenny's a pretty terrible person. Awful. She uses a guy with a mental, some sort of mental handicap yep. uh, who, who does, who is devoting his life to her and make sure she's happy. And then it's only when she's dying that she says, okay, fine, let's do this. So horrific. She, yeah. she, she is a bad character. I'm sorry. Who are you, Darren? I know. I know. Uh, Wait, go back to Titanic. I want to know what you think about Titanic. No, but I, no, because then I'll, I'll lose all street credibility on, on everything. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Titanic. We, we love Titanic. I think it's an okay. incredible achievement. We're Cameron uh, apologists. Yeah. No, uh, it was not apologize about. He directed Terminator 2 in The Abyss and True Lies. The guy's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Aliens. I'm now a thing in my life that the older I get, the more I will not revisit movies that I like. I won't do it. I just won't do it. If I, if I had a moment that mm. something really impactful happened to me and I, I connected with something, I will never, I've started, I will not watch it again. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I first moved to Los Angeles, uh, you know, the classic story, I was broke. I had $10 to my name. I had a shitty car. Um, I didn't know how I was going to make dinner the next night because I had no money. And I was driving down the street and there was a single screen theater showing Amelie. And oh. I was, I was like, I knew nothing about it. I didn't know one fucking thing about it. I went in, I was the only one in the theater, this huge, beautiful single screen, old school cinema sitting there with popcorn. And I had the most magical fucking moment that I just, I, I, I cannot articulate. It was something that was almost like a religious experience. Cut to eight or nine years later, my, my wife wants to watch it with me. So we sit down and watch it. And now I have dogs and kids screaming. And I have the entire experience was, it, 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 I don't want to say it perverted that thing, my initial thing. But it, it, now when I think about watching Amelie, I think of the kids screaming and my wife and the dogs and the yeah. projector breaking. 
And so I also have fond memories of movies I saw in theaters with my dad, like Highlander. And I watched it again and I'm like, no, no, it doesn't hold up to the way I remember it as a kid. Beastmaster 2, one of my favorite movies as a kid. And I watch it again and I'm like, oh, I just want to leave those alone. So now if I, I'll give you one other one. I, uh, I was living in Orlando, going to film school, and um, I got invited to a test screening of a movie that had just gotten shot. And the editors were just put their get they just put their edit together, and it was a documentary. Is all I knew. So we show up to this this really great theater in Orlando, and they show this documentary. Little did I know what I was watching was the Blair Witch Project. Oh, nice! Now, this oh. was this was way before the VHS tapes were put under seats. This was literally no hype. No one knew anything about it, and I think it was just called like Kids in the Woods documentary or something. And I remember the feeling that I had in that theater of shock, how could they shoot this? How am I sitting here watching this? Because I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Those types of experiences are few and far between for me now. So I just wanna preserve the, just the memories of those awesome things that I try not to go revisit movies I love or I'm passionate about. So Darren, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, my first experience with Blair Witch, while I did see it in a theater, which is before the internet age, was that I thought what I was watching was real because of the marketing. And so you're right. Like if, like if I watch Blair Witch now, it's not going to have the same effect it did when I ran out of the theater. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, theater experiences, I, I'll, I'm going to skip ahead to this just real fast because you're responsible for one of the most horrific scenes in cinema, which is the hypodermic needle sequence in Saw 2, um, which to this day still makes my skin crawl. <laughs> and I just wanted to ask about that scene and your memory of filming that. Like, you obviously knew what you were doing with that scene. People, A lot of people were afraid of needles, but it was pretty brutal. I wanted to ask you just what your memory of that and like, did you, yeah. did you, you knew what you were doing with that? I, I usually have a bag on my desk of the needles because I took, no. yeah, I don't know where it is. Um, <sighs> but uh, yeah, so, so that was, you know, to me, when I, when I first started Saw 2, I wanted to take small fears and then, and then um, exponentially increase them. So I was fearful of needles. And so you, you take the idea of a needle and say, what is the personification of a trap with a needle? So, you know, we went back and forth on different ideas. One of the ideas was like a, a chair that if you moved in it, it was like it, the arms were lined with needles, the back. And I was like, that's not big enough. So we were like, okay, let's dig a hole in the floor and put needles in there. But I, I will, I'll never forget this. There was um, the prop people who were there were like, okay, great, we can do this. Uh, the production designer cut a hole out in the floor of the set and it was an elevated set. So the set of the house actually had two floors on it. Um, we cut it out and the prop people start doing the needles. And what they would do is they got real hypodermic needles. They would take the needle part out, put a fiber optic in and throw it and then age it and then throw it into the pit. Well, we realized right away that this was not going to be as simple as we originally thought, because after a few thousand needles, it barely covered the floor, let alone she couldn't have jumped and sunk into it. So I get a, I get a call from the producers and say, we have to push that scene. We, there's nowhere near enough needles. We have to do a lot more. So they brought in teams of people now. I mean, I'm teams that their entire job was to pull the needles out, put fiber optics in, paint them, throw them in the pit. And so, I mean, we went tens and tens and tens of thousands of needles before she could even get to where her ankles would be in it. Oh my God. So yeah, it was, it was a lot, but I'll never forget. So the day we're filming the day we're filming it, um, so Shawnee had her daughter there, uh, this, this little girl named Verve, 
And uh, I became very close with Shawnee. We, we became very good friends. And uh, we are about to start shooting. And one of the prop people came over and says, listen, we have an issue. Um, we dropped a package of real needles in the needle pit. Now you talk about needle in a haystack. We were trying to find a needle in a needle stack. Oh and God. so, so now at the same time, I'm not even shooting you. And I think this is in the commentary somewhere. There might even be video of it. Verb, which is Shawnee's daughter comes over and she's maybe five or six and goes, I have a secret. And I can see Shawnee across and she's like telling Verb stop. And Verb calls me over and goes, there is a baby in my mommy's belly and no one knows. So now I just get told that Shawnee's pregnant and there's real needles in the pit. And like, we have like four days left of filming. So we, we obviously couldn't film. We had to stop filming. We had to send people in with gloves on to try to find them. And I think it was like three, I think the package of needles came in three needles. So we, we found the needles luckily and Shawnee dove in the needle pit, which to me is, you know, and why I think that's a great saw trap is it's simplistic. It doesn't involve lasers or complicated machinery. It is literally just needles that could stick inside of you. And I think we all experience needles. Um, so to me, that's why that one is a good saw trap because it is so simplistic and you understand it just by looking at it. You look at it and you understand what it's going to be, uh, the consequences of jumping in there. And so I, I, I really, I, I just as well love that trap. Does the actual killer in the saw films do the voice that we hear on the tapes in the traps? Well, in the new one, um, Yes and no. There, there are we 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 layer them. So it starts there and then it's layered and it layered and layered. Tobin Bell, absolutely, um, that was him. But there is a there's a company we go through, Urban Audio, who will then take that in and manipulate it and shift it down. Uh, so yeah, that the, the answer is partially yes, but it's mm-hmm. layered, considerably layered. But well, Darren, thank you so much for spending the time, man. We really appreciate you going over, and this was a really was fascinating funny. conversation. So, all right, hopefully, thank you guys so much. I appreciate hopefully we'll have you it. back Thanks, on man. the I show sometime soon. We're probably going to see you at the TV junket next week. Awesome, look forward to it, guys. And Jared Leto just recently denied that he was. Yeah, in he, denied, he was an urban legend, which which I like. Urban I legend. I love urban legend. Yeah, that, urban that legend, opening scene to this day. To this day, if I'm driving on a dark highway by myself and I like Looking will get seat. a chill and I'll be like a little worried about looking in my rearview mirror that yeah. there's someone with an axe. <laughs> That's a great because because what's the deal? The, the deal is the guy like stutters, right? The guy stutters and she thinks that he's trying to attack her or rape her and he's like stuttering trying to say something to her yeah. as he's pumping her gas. Yeah. She like hits him and she gets in the car and then away. he finally screams, someone's in the back seat. Oh Lord! And so he gets up, and I think he has an axe or something. It's something ridiculous. Oh yeah, because it's a, a silhouette. Seat. Because it's a storm, <laughs> and, and it's silhouette. And the, the lightning flashes, and you still you see a silhouette with a guy with an axe. That scared me so much, like like to a core where like I'll get a chill thinking about like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. if someone's in my backseat. And you the, didn't do you remember the it? song? And now every time I hear that song, that's what's what I think. Song? It's like can't turn around. Is that the song that plays? Da, da, no da, 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 da. So now every because she's like Very crying, and she's like dressed. She's like. Horror, and then she like, God, fucking <laughs> just slams the urban legend. See, awesome. I, I, I love prefer urban that type of horror to what we're getting nowadays. Oh, I, you know? I miss the late nineties, early two thousand slash yeah. like whodunit. Yeah, yep. killer. Yeah, I think that's you no. Know you did last fun. summer yeah. was. Great. I wish they would come back. Yes, oh, right, exactly. Do you remember how weirdly complicated? Like, I remember like how like to try to figure out who the killer was. It's so weirdly complicated to figure out who the killer in, was in that movie. 
I don't remember. I don't remember. I can't even remember who it is. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Well, don't say it. Don't yeah. say yeah. it because I would like to. Well, thank you, Wes Craven. For I, I rewatched it uh, last year. Well, and also thank you to Darren Bozeman for joining the show. I would like to get, let's keep all this. Oh, okay. That was good sure. conversation. Sure, yeah. sure. It was good. And also thank we you to Darren Bozeman. We were just talking Bozeman. to the Brad. <laughs> yeah, for, for joining the show. But that was a really good conversation. Yeah. So uh, keep an eye on our YouTube channel, as Gabe mentioned, because we're going to put some more saw and spiral goodies um, from Darren uh, coming to Real Blend. And subscribe to the YouTube channel while you're there. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, talking points. Um, There's a big uh, sequel coming later this year that had been delayed. And it is called Venom, uh, Let There Be Carnage. Are you sure? (laughs) Was it Venom, Let There Be Carnage or Venom, Let There Be Comedy? Because it was Uh, hard to tell. Okay, so we're going to talk about that trailer now. And the opening bit um, with the breakfast... uh, now, I didn't like that bit. And even Sony reached out to me and said, like, what'd you think of the trailer? Because they know I'm a big Spider-Man guy. And I was like, and, and honestly, my reaction was the trailer's not bad, you know, mm-hmm. but that opening bit is pretty cringy. You know, the rest of it, although it looks really dark and by dark, I mean, like not lit. <laughs> like, I just I couldn't kind of see what was going on. It looks like a Venom movie. It looks like the symbiotes and Woody Harrelson looks yeah. better. The Carnage than character he did looks at the, awesome. At the, yeah. And see, I don't think so. He looks like a video game, man. Uh, but I think that's kind of what his look is. It looks yeah, the whole you... it, the whole movie looks like it like should have come out in two thousand two. Every everything it, I think you need to watch the movies from movie, two thousand two to get a refresh. No, okay, but like but like the, it, this feels like it would have come out a couple of months after the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Like this, I know it, what you're saying. It was yeah, like sure. the early two thousands Marvel movies that were coming out. But Venom fans on because I'm plugged, I'm pretty plugged into Spider Man. T- Twitter. Look, now you can't be plugged into Snyder Cut and Marvel at the same. Come on, you gotta. I listen. You, you, I wear don't a lot you know of hats. you have to be? You have to be they fans of one. Loved, they loved the breakfast scene. They Venom yeah. fans are saying that's exactly what they wanted to see more really? of in the first movie, and they loved the fact that 
that that scene is what opened the trailer. I will say that if if Tom Hardy is all in on that and it doesn't feel like it's like he's just kind of cashing a paycheck, which I don't think felt like that in the first one. But if he's all in on that and he's really playing to the comedy of it and given the context of the movie, you know, I could totally be sold on it. And I'm fine with a right, funny well, ask you, Venom movie. But. Did he look like he was all in on in the breakfast scene? Because well, he didn't to me. But that was the point, right, of the scene. That was the problem with that. With I think that scene is he looks kind of exhausted by the whole Venom bit. Like, or of. Yeah. And so that, I think that's just what he was playing. But if that back and forth, that sort of two-hander that they're building between Venom and, and him. What's his character's name? Eddie Brock. Brock. Eddie, Brock. Eddie Brock. Thank you. Eddie Brock. Um, if that if that it keeps getting played up, I could see falling in love with that and, and it being fun. I think it was a weird. I think I sent you guys a screenshot of him kind of being exhausted with the with, with the symbiote character, and it looks like he's like, okay, yeah. take five, let's go. <laughs> you know what? I I think I'd be okay with the kitchen scene if the, if Venom wasn't singing. Like the symbiote <laughs> it's was singing. really strange. Yeah, <laughs> that really took me out of it. Um, but I have to say, I think Harrelson looks better. Uh, I am a little bit upset they got rid of the wig. I wish they committed to the wig because it was that big, bushy red wig. Yeah. Now he's back down to just sort of Woody Harrelson. Um, and I still listen. I, I wish Kev were here because Kev is a big defender of the first Venom. That's true. And I would like to hear his take on this. Um, I have faith in Andy Serkis. I think Andy Serkis can bring something else to. I know. I know, I know you're going to tell me he hasn't directed anything uh, of note. And that is accurate. But um I think he's been around enough directors to have potentially. It's not totally fair though, because we know that he's really he's made some really great creative choices as a performer. The the best thing creatively that he's done is, I would argue, work uh, as like didn't he do AD on a lot of the Lord of the Rings? Like wasn't he kind of Peter Jackson's right hand man? Yes, Um, so so sure he went to and he has like a whole best film school. He has a whole school on like how to act within how to do motion capture. Okay, but I, I gotta I gotta be honest with you. Even if I, like, if Spielberg had directed Let There Be Carnage and that trailer came out, I'd go, well, <laughs> sure, this is going to suck. <laughs> if, that would be such a like, strange, yeah. strange Spielberg trailer. Yeah. So let's get to I don't know. Ooh, it doesn't do it, anything. It, it just, the movie just doubles down on everything that I hated about it the first time. And, and, and like, and granted, I clearly don't, I have no encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, of Venom, but like, isn't he supposed to be like a villain in the Spider-Man character, like in the Spider-Man universe? Like, isn't he a bad well, guy? So it's worth pointing out that he started off as a villain in the Spider-Man comics, but then there was a, a whole life to Venom where he got his own comic books and took on like more of an anti-hero type role. And these movies from the beginning have almost put themselves in that camp. You know, like they're they're building off of Venom stories where he is kind of more the hero aspect and the other symbiotes he fights are, are more the villains. Does that mean that if we ever do get a sinister six film and they acknowledge that venom exists within the MCU, that he wouldn't be a part of the sinister six because he's never shown any actual signs of being a true villain. So you can't all of a sudden convince me to me that he's going to be a, to me, it seems like they've turned venom into a hero because of Eddie Brock. And then the other symbiotes are the turn him into a joke. But like that's what it feels like. They're just making other symbiotes are the evil villains, and then this Eddie Brock one is is just. It seems like a kind of traditional hero. He just happens to. Ugh. I also would not want to see a Sinister Six that involves Venom because Sinister Six is supposed to be like classic villains. Yeah. And Venom 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 is never classic. Venom is never really part of that mix. No, classics are like Doctor Octopus, Electro. 
um, Craven the Hunter. I had a Venom toy Vulture as a child, so Vulture would be one. Well, of Vulture would be a Mysterio. part of it. Mysterio, Mysterio, yeah. So there's other yeah, because they never killed Gyllenhaal officially, did they? No, no. Like he yeah. could still be alive. I God, s- I hope yeah. he comes back. He was great. I saw someone. This is kind of random, but we're talking Spider-Man Sinister Six stuff. Um, someone mentioned the Raimi uh, multiverse. Mm-hmm. scenario and talking about how it could be a chance for us to finally get the um bruce campbell mysterio sort of cameo mm. or thing that, that they had pitched for spider-man for that would right. be awesome what if doctor we're just hoping fun. doctor strange I, you know i really, I really wish Spider-Man there movie. were a book that explained what happened with spider-man oh 4. that's funny um there's is there is one in some form right now uh it's called with great power and it's the next book that that i'm working on so can you say Stay how far into it you are? News from that. I don't even know if I know how far. Um, I am about five or five five chapters in, let's say. Um, some of the interviews you've gotten, I know, I know we're derailing at this point, but you've gotten some pretty killer interviews. It's a little scattered right now in the fact that um, I'm collecting a lot of interviews from a lot of different people. And then when I get their information, I'm trying to work them into chapters, but it's not going in order, which is kind of insane. Um, but yeah, I, I've gotten uh, Avi Arad, who's been with Spider-Man since day one. Uh, Matt Tallmack, who was uh, the president of Sony Pictures when the Raimi film started and then left his position at Sony to stay with the Garfield films. Um, and then I got Amy Pascal, who was you know the head of That's Sony huge. for forever huge. and has been Spider-Man's baby. She's the first person not named Kevin Feige uh, to get a producing credit on a Marvel film. Damn. So... Um, because she jumped over for homecoming and far from home. So she knows, as I wrote in the book somewhat recently, she knows she's forgotten more about Spider-Man than most of us will ever know. And um, it was kind of fun. You forget how powerful Amy Pascal is. And I promise I'll get to green Knight after this, but I was listening to Seth Rogen on, on Howard Stern. And he was talking about um, this amazing story about how, (laughs) when he was working on green Hornet or they were prepping green Hornet, the studio really wanted Nicolas Cage to be, um, in the movie and preferably as a villain kind of thing. And Nick Cage the role being that Nick Christoph Cage, Waltz, like ended up playing? Well, yes, but Cage envisioned him more as like a white bohemian, um, like, a, like a Jamaican with the long, long dreadlocks and, and Nick like, Cage like doing Gary a Jamaican accent. Romance? Yes, very similar to that. And so Rogan said that he had to go to Nick Cage's house um, with, and he just kept saying with Amy, um, to to have Nick Cage like audition his Jamaican accent kind of thing, and that it was a just a debacle, like it didn't work on any <laughs> level. Sounds terrible. But the more he kept mentioning Amy, the more I was like, oh, Green Hornet was at Sony, and that's Amy Pascal. Yeah. Amy was there for this whole. And then it makes me stop and think for a minute, like how many stories does Amy Pascal, oh. someone like Amy Pascal, have? Yeah, that we'll just never hear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> she could. It's unbelievable. Hopefully, so, she writes a book. It, God, yes, yeah. or contributes to mine. Which <laughs> yeah. She did. Spoiler alert, she did. Yeah, she did. Uh, the Green Knight trailer. Um, let's get to the Green Knight trailer. This is David Lowry, who did. Um, well, God, I really only know him from uh, Pete's oh, Dragon, but I know he did he did three, uh, Ghost Story. Ghost Story. You did Ghost Story? Yes. Oh, yep. I hate Ghost Story. Did you guys like Ghost Story? No, I did not. <laughs> I did not like Ghost. Story. You liked Upstream it's, Color, it, though, it didn't you? I did like Upstream yeah. Color a lot. Yes, Ghost Wait, Story. That was him. I thought he was. I thought he did something else. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Was okay. I'll check. Um, well, he has a, a movie coming out called The Green Knight with Dev Patel, oh. and this was the full trailer for it. 
made it look far more epic than the previous trailer did. Sets it up as like Dev Patel stands up to this monster, um, beheads him, which doesn't kill him in <laughs> any way, shape, or form, uh, and then has to like settle the score with this monster mm. and go on an epic quest in order mm. to make it happen. Uh, Jake, you seem really moved by this trailer. What caught your eye about it? I mean, just the visuals themselves are absolutely gorgeous. I love everything about it. I mean, I... Um... You know, just the, the the posters leading up to this were fantastic, and I, you know, and and uh, my my buddy Chase, who's a long time listener of the show, you know, his his joke is, you know, I I really hope the movie lives up to the poster because I really want to justify buying the poster, <laughs> um, and which I totally understand, and every everything about it and the look of it, um, I kind of started to read what the legend of the Green Knight was, but then also didn't want to spoil the movie for myself, but based on what I started reading, it seemed really. Uh, interesting. Um, I think Dev Patel is an incredible actor, and honestly, I, he he sells everything that he's in. I actually enjoy David Copperfield, and and I mean, dating all the way back to Slumdog Millionaire, obviously, where he was great. Um, everything about this just looks incredible and epic, and also like weird in the best A twenty four kind of way. Yeah, A twenty four is like, you know, I did like kind of in a weird way, like the next Pixar, and that like, ooh, what is the, what is this studio? And I don't like everything that they do i mean case in point like ghost story is sometimes everything i dislike about a24 squeezed into a movie but mm-hmm. i think green knight is everything that i loved about a24 squeezed into a movie i um was on board once the, i saw those sort of really tall alien looking bald yeah. alien looking creatures because yeah. then i was like wait this is an element this of is this gonna that be I did weird not expect to get it all you said that there's a legend of a green knight like there's mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. something that this there's is a, there's on. a reason I can't remember what it was, but there's a reason that he has a year to okay. go and, until he has to see the monster again. There's all that's that's a whole that's a whole part of the story is you it's have a, a year. King Arthur legend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it? yeah that's okay. I think that 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 that's the round table, and those are from the trailer. Well, a twenty four absolutely has an audience of people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they have for whatever reason circled this one in uh, permanent marker, like. The Green Knight has been on the tips of people's tongues yeah. since we were supposed to get it a long also, time ago. Also, you know, it, it, it also became this thing that we were being denied. Like, because yeah. whenever they started putting making movies that were going to come out in theaters available on video on demand, one of the first ones everyone thought was going to to be given to us was Green Knight. Like that's mm. clearly like oh like like they're going to put that on VOD, so we're going to be able to watch it. And then I felt like the more and more they kept pushing it back and denying it. It became over the, almost this, like no pun intended, like this thing of legend. Like, okay, oh, like when 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 is the when is the Green Knight going to come out? Yeah, because yeah. It, 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 I feel like like them denying us the movie last year worked out really well in their favor because now there's this fever pitch for for how badly people want. Well, and it, and it makes it seem like it's it's um, it must be good, you know? Like it has that yeah. like oh, it must be really good. They must really mm-hmm. want people to go to a theater yeah. to see this because like what was it? Another A twenty four. Remember? Do you remember Saint Maud? That comes out this week on, uh, I think like uh, Hulu or something like that. Jake, yeah. you saw Saint Maud, right? That was I an A twenty four movie that like kind of got lost last year. Like I think yeah. it came out in some theaters, yeah. and then I think it eventually went to some mm-hmm. sort of streaming. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, the streaming service that I had to pay like three dollars yeah. for to see it. Did you, you saw right? Yeah. Safe to say, perhaps the most shocking movie altering. F- what do you want to call it? in movie history yeah yeah i don't want to say more than Whoa. that it's, it's yeah that's, 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 that's all good, i'll say that is a good tease we can talk about ne- it we never can, we can talk about it in this week in movies i'll, I'll drop yeah. it in there but yeah, yeah. It's, never has people should watch it it's great
changed how I felt about a movie. Well, I don't even want to say that. I'm going to cut that out because yeah. I don't want people to expect. Okay, sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Green Knight, however. Well, I heard it. You can't cut it out from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, to the Green Knight, though, I will say I think it looks awesome. There's this. Um, apparently, if you walk into A24's studios and you pitch them a movie, and then you say that will the uh, it'll all be muted blacks, they'll buy it because uh, that seems to be their look, <laughs> um, which I like. I, I think it looks gorgeous. Um, and agreeing with Jake, I love Dev Patel. Adore Dev Patel, and the rest of the cast looks great. Um, but it just the teaser alone was enough to sell me the poster alone. Like you were saying, I think it was enough to sell me. I didn't really need this trailer. I understand that the movie needed this trailer, uh, because mm. now it's eventually finally coming out. Um, but I'm all in. And I think, I think it's audiences is aware of it. I think the audience that it was going to find already found it. Is it coming out soon? Do we know that? Uh, did that have, a release? uh, next month, I think June. I think right. Okay. So it's not like a May, it's not a May release. June 11th. Um, while you're looking that up, I'm going to June 11th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. All right, so The Green Knight. Check out the trailer if you want to. Uh, it definitely looks more epic, and I can kind of understand, having seen these visuals, why A24 would hold off and put it into theaters, because it looks like it definitely wants that. Um, are we going to talk about Army of the Dead in this week in movies? Okay, I'll save my conversation uh, for that bit. Um, let's get into the, go- the Golden Globes controversy, uh, which we teased at the beginning of the show. Um, for people who have not been keeping up on this lately... Uh, the Golden Globes have been under fire for the lack of diversity in their membership body. And it uh, sort of was raised around the time of the show. And it uh, largely because they have no black members at all, like not like zero. Their, their representative uh, of the black community in their membership is zero percent. Now, the Golden Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association only consists of, I believe, 98 to 99 people. So the idea that they have such influence over the awards um, season is kind of skewed as it is. And part of the reason why they do is because they go so early um, in the awards season. So they're looked at as a prognosticator. Um, But then over the years, since the Golden Globe has been going on, more of these uh, regional groups and the larger cities have jumped into December. So now you'll see New York and LA doing their awards in mid-December uh, and they become early uh, prognosticators of what might be to come. Uh, the Gotham Awards go early. The um, you know there's plenty more uh, people who are acting as bellwethers, which you would think would reduce the impact of the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes, of course, always have uh, the NBC push behind them too. They're a national show. Uh, they're on a Sunday night. They got great placement. They did okay with the ratings. But all these award shows have been showing more and more uh, chinks in the armor. You know, like the, they're not these unfallible, infallible. Uh, television programs and people are not tuning into the shows for various reasons. Last year with COVID, your options of movies to root for damaged uh, all of the award shows. Everything has been down. Even the Oscars had a historically low uh, turnout. But when it comes to the Globes, the other shoe to drop, which started happening this week, is that uh, the streaming services first, Netflix and Amazon, said we're not going to participate in your show. And that's that's the the last straw for the Golden Globes. Like they need the support of the studios. They need the support of these people to to agree to put their films into contention, to bring the talent to the show. They are largely a televised program. And if you don't have the stars who are willing to come, then you're being damaged. Warner Media became the next one to stand up and say, until significant change happens, uh, we're not going to 
uh, participate either. And then Tom Cruise, of all people, decided he's going to give his Golden Globes back, which is a nice symbolic gesture, I guess. Yeah, because that's really like to... that's the that's that's the most major award he's ever won. Yeah, I think it oh, says okay, more. Okay, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah like, guess like, that... like like you know, it's not like oh, I'm sending these back, but don't worry, I still have an Oscar. Or a, he's I think never won an Oscar or a SAG or. Yeah, I think it's I, less I that, it pretty cool. I think it's less that like him giving him back is this major blow. I think it's more the fact that because it's Tom Cruise, it makes mm-hmm. it more of a story. It makes it it makes it a, a sort of a wider audience is going to notice this and talk about it. And he probably knew that um, depending on, you know, whatever the conversations are behind the scenes of people that really do have an influence over this. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that was like a Tom Cruise, like thought he was saving the world by giving that back. I think it was more if Tom Cruise does it. Sally, who from down the street, who doesn't watch anything, is going to go, "Wow, what, what's going on there?" And we'll pay attention to yeah. it. I mean, the the, the two um, went together whenever I covered the story on air. Like we cover, you know, I covered the fact that you know, Golden Globes have been canceled. Also, Tom Cruise packed up his awards and shipped them back. Like, like that's yeah. that's kind of the they're kind yeah. of uh, they kind of went together. Question. So then, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, go I was going to say the nail in the coffin. I think. Uh, because I honestly do think that this is something the Golden Globes is not going to be able to return from. I don't think they uh, should. NBC deciding not to not to televise them next year. It is it is very difficult as somebody who works um, closely with the Broadcast Film Critics Association who mm-hmm. puts on the Critics Choice Awards. I've been privy to conversations um, about how difficult it is to get a network partner uh, for an award show. Um, that's just either the major networks have something that they are already committed to with NBC. It's the golden globes with ABC. It's the Oscars. Um, and so when you're another award show trying to get television placement, it can be really challenging. And also, you know, the amount of money that it takes to put a show like this on is very daunting. And so the minute that NBC realizes that they don't need the golden globes anymore, I, I would have a hard time seeing them turn around and reverse course and be like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Come back the following year. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is it for the Globes, but uh, Jake, do you think they have a future? Uh, well, I was going to ask you selfishly, as we are two members of the Critics' Choice Association, uh, my first thought was, you know, we have a, a, a pretty well-respected organization. We put on a very uh, well-respected award show, if my main complaint being that we nominate 84 people per category. That being said... Uh, is there any chance that that our award show slides into that well, slot at NBC next year? We have made some strategic moves in the Critics' Choice Association to uh, combine our movies and television awards into one big thing, which is mm-hmm. what the Globes do also. Mm-hmm. This is something that we did years ago, and so that, you would assume, puts us in a really good position to just transition over because we're serving a lot of the same needs that the Globes do. I think we still have a contract with the CW. I'm not... A hundred percent sure, um, but I think that we're repped with uh, re-upped with them for a couple for a year or two. So um, I can't say that specifically because I don't know for sure. But I wonder if there's a way out of that. I don't know if you know NBC backs right. up a, a, a money truck. Uh, I don't know if NBC decides that they just will sit it out a year. You know, this past year has really convinced me that there's a lot of things that are staples in our society that when you sit them out for a year you kind of realize like, we didn't really need that. (laughs) Well, that's, that's what I would, what I would rather see, because I do think, I do think the award season is really fun. I do think it's important. I think people could be interested in it. And I think that this is an opportunity. This is a huge opportunity for that to shift for the golden globes to kind of 
they've kind of been a punchline for a long time because of their number of members and because of how uh, sort of biased and, and just kind of they've kind of always, challenged. Yes. And they've kind of always been a joke in that sense. I think it would be great, whether it's NBC or whether however things shift across networks, if the Independent Spirit Awards came up as a big influence in the sort of conversation of that. I was looking at this year, like, for instance, and this year is, is a weird year, but their winners this year were Riz Ahmed for male lead, Carrie Mulligan for female lead, uh, Zhao for director, uh, Sound of Metal won best first feature. Like, those were all Oscar winners. Those were all mm-hmm. relevant to the Oscar conversation. And I think that all it really takes, all that the Golden Globes had that that others didn't, was the sort of big network that was putting them front stage. You know, and I think if this is if this is their them being shown the door, um, I think uh, one of these other sort of smaller awards shows that have made it a point to be more diverse, have made it a point mm-hmm. to show more interest or discuss more interesting artists. I think it's a great way for the industry to kind of make that shift that everyone's wanted to see. So. Mm. Hopefully. There was also a, a mention in one of the articles I saw that they uh, lobbied that the different guilds, Directors Guild, Screen Actors Guild, um, Producers Guild, that they should all combine uh, their powers and put on more of a tech, tech-based tech or below oh, the line-based show. Okay, but like... Those are the categories we want them to skip. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's... NBC's job to put on a, a show that people are going to tune in for and you know as, as cool of an idea as that sounds to us who make a movie podcast is, is you know the, the average person at home going to care like who wins best production design like I just don't right. think people are going to tune in for that show well and the lore of the Globes was always like this is the one that's kind of a party right yeah because, because they're all drunk and, and, and Ricky yeah. Gervais is the host and it's and if you can't get like it suffered this year because it's virtual you know, and virtual damaged everything. So if they're not back to a situation where they get people all in the same room and having that sort of loose vibe, but you know, that's what critics choice is too. Yeah. Critics choice has that sort of loose vibe. So yeah. I can, I can absolutely see how our show would slot into the, the void left by the golden. Globe. So. And you know, I, I will always, always and forever defend the award season as, as much as it's in a particular, in particular the, the past few years, people, have dismissed uh the, you know the the award season and and um and 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 whether or not they're relevant or i can't tell you for every person that that uh, who i work with who told me how they don't care about the oscars and they're not going to watch the oscars and they're not going to do this and it's too political and this and this and this i still had people come up and go oh you know i actually i went ahead and watched nomadland and i went ahead mm-hmm. and watched i actually went out and, and saw minari i i, I mm-hmm. found judas and the black messiah like, that's the best part of the award show is mm-hmm. the fact that it not not that we get to talk about movies that we're already talking about, but that it introduces movies to people who otherwise maybe wouldn't have heard of them or, or, or would never would never have sought them out. That was my biggest... That's why I hated so much that the Oscars this year didn't show the clips. Mm-hmm. That, like, that, yeah. that people need to see clips of these movies to be turned on to them. They need to see that that shouty, scene-chewy Oscar performance from from Daniel Kaluuya to go like, damn, that... That does look like a good performance. I gotta go see that movie. Like that's mm-hmm. that is the beauty of of the award season is whenever my mom says, you know, I finally sat down and watched that Nomad Land you've been talking about. You know, like that's that's what that's what I love about it. Yep. Yeah, very true. Um, all right, so no Oscar contenders in this week in movies, but plenty of stuff to get to. You don't uh, know. You don't know that. Very true. It could be a spiral from the book of Saw standing at the, on that stage at the end of the night. Uh, Chris Rock accepting best actor. Uh, there's a movie called Finding You. 
that's opening. I'm not quite sure we know much about that, uh, but you can check it out if you want to. There's a woman. Uh, there's a, a movie there's called. There's a woman. <laughs> there's a woman. There's a woman who's in a window, <laughs> and she's got a movie based on her. Uh, this is really strange that we want to mention. Uh, Amy Adams has a film called The Woman in the Window, and it's directed by none other than the great Joe Wright. But fantastic. Let me, let me. Well, let me preface that, Gabe, by asking you because I'm with you in the Joe Wright camp. But does Joe Wright still warrant the? from the mind of the great Joe, Joe Wright, because I don't know if his last two have been. So Joe Wright did atonement yeah. and he did Hannah. I love um, Hannah. And, Pride and prejudice. And he did Pride and prejudice. Uh, Pride and prejudice. He did Anna Karenina, which I freaking adore. Mm-hmm. Darkest um, hour. You didn't like I was Darkest all hour? in on pain. Mm-hmm. Um, the darkest hour was fine, Okay, but I didn't love it. What was yeah, the other but one? Pan, but, that, but it was very critically pan. adored. Oh, pan. Pan was the other one. Which I thought was, I admired Pan for him being uh, unconventional, but I think in the most part it didn't work. But that was kind so of a... Did you also did a movie that. called The Soloist, which I liked. Oh, he did early on, that's true. Yeah, yeah. but, but Pan was kind of like, like him signing on to do a studio movie kind of thing, I always felt. Yes. Like, it didn't did really feel Warner's. like it was like from the soul of Joe Wright, it was... I'm sure he cared about that story, but it kind of just felt like they wanted Joe Wright to tell this story. Wait, and is that what they put in the trailers from the soul? Of no, Joe I Wright? just, I oh, meant like, I, know. I just meant like, the I trailers think... these days are like from visionary direct, no, you know, like no. that, I just meant like, I don't think that was like necessarily like, you know, completely. I'm gonna get, I'm, if I ever make a movie, it's going to be like from the bowels of Jake Hamilton. Like, <laughs> what I'm trying to get, get like, around is I don't think he was like a director for hire. I think that's kind of a, that's sort of a, that's sort of a disrespectful thing to say, but like, that to me that just felt like it was like ah you know when you're a director and you go make a big studio movie usually don't make your best work so yeah oh no from the bowels of jake hamilton is going to make the real blend out of context twitter account (laughs) from the yes oh no if there's if there's justice (laughs) that account will be listening this week and that quote will make it um this movie is completely flying under the radar like Mm -hmm. to the point where i haven't seen anything i haven't seen a trailer I haven't seen a commercial. <laughs> I haven't gotten a press release. Yeah. I have well, no we, clue. Like, we don't know anyone that's seen it. We don't know anyone that I, did I'm pretty sure it's okay that I did interviews. We asked for stuff yes. on this and yes. got nothing. So it's like, it's not yeah. even, it's yeah. not even like we were passively waiting. It was. Were, did, were you just told no or you were told nothing? No, no got reply. No, no reply. reply at all. So, um, and this was, to make it even stranger, you go back to 2019 because I searched my emails to see who if I had a press rep for this, and it was a 20th Century Fox movie, right? Back yeah. in December of 2019. Do you think that's and it? So, Do you think it's just it? It is one that's just got lost in that churn- turnover. Yes, but then it's like then it's curious why Netflix but would it's pick Joe, up right? a movie like, to that's ignore thing. it. Yeah, well, it's Amy Adams. It's Amy Adams. You can sell it on Amy yeah. Adams for God's sake. Yeah. She pushed uh, Hillbilly Elegy to do. You also, think? this this movie feels like the kind of perfect movie to watch on Netflix at home over yeah. the weekend. Like this yes. feels like the perfect at home. Like even if it's bad, a lot well, of the movies are bad. Whole, Netflix has Just the whole. Uh, uh, Bridgerton, you know, week. like you can sell that he directed oh. Pride and Prejudice. You know, just tell everybody yeah. he directed yeah. Pride and Prejudice. And but wait, it it feels very much like Emily Blunt's The Girl on the Train. Do you yeah. think that it, it think feels like, too much like to that? you know there there is this kind of subgenre of uh, mystery thriller books that are found in airports around the country right now. Yeah. Where it's like like the girl in I don't know like the girl in seat ten. You know, it's all like yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah. all these like usually <laughs> and it usually involves like 
a murder and like a girl who act, like witnessed it or is like being accused of Some it, and so she has to go on a search. Yeah, yes, and uh, and it's always on. It's always in paperback, <laughs> and you can always find it at the airport. And I honestly, yeah, I yeah. think that Emily Blunt one was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say this one was one too. I think I have some well, that I've bought in the the woman in cabin ten. It's on my bookshelf right there. <laughs> That's funny. So do we do we think that is it possible that it's just because it's bad? Yes, they're okay, but they're. They put out bad movies all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're they right. They do that, and they and they junk at them too. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. So I, I I'm gonna check it out out of curiosity because I hope we interview I, Joe I have Wright to see for something, and we can ask him this. Yeah. Like, what the what yeah. happened? What's going on? What happened? With I that? okay. Did you guys? I had heard that that early test screenings went very poorly, and oh, that it's been I, recut over and over and um, over again. Okay. I, and he I, might I just feel that. like it's not his anymore. Right. Interesting. That could be possible. Well, now we're just speculating. Um, on a uh, somewhat tangentially related uh, note, Michelle and I started watching The Flight Attendant with Kaylee Kuoko. Kuoko? Kuoko. Um, that was really good. We're one episode. We only watched the first episode. Okay, there, what, yeah, there you go. What's that face? No? It first, goes episode, first episode's really good. First yeah. episode's really good. And then, really and then by like episode like six or seven, you're like, what the hell? This is not how normal people react under these circumstances. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, oh, I, damn. I, I, uh, I was dating someone at the time, and we really thought this was going to be like this thing that we like watched together. And I was like all in on episode one. In fact, I, I even want to say maybe I was like, I was all in on episode one. And then by like two and three, I was like, okay, I'm in it. But like, it's getting a little silly just because like, I can't imagine that a person would behave this way under like... And then by okay. like by the end of it, I was like, I'm I'm out. Like I think I I think I I was just once Sheldon out. showed up, you were you left. No, <laughs> okay. For the record, Sheldon can make everything better. Did you finish I love, it? I loved. Yeah, I finished it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know you liked uh, that show. I love Big Bang Theory. I'm a I'm an I'm a a, a vicious advocate oh, of, of the Big Bang Theory. I know, man. People hate Big Bang Theory. Why? I'm not a fan. Yeah. Why? Why do I like it, or why do people hate it? Why do you like it? <laughs> because it's fu- it's funny. I think it's very it funny. It strikes me so much as that. Like I've never been more disturbed than I've watched those clips of like sitcoms with the with the laugh track removed, mm-hmm. and you notice how the actors have to put in those the the pauses yeah. after their laugh lines. That's like that's. But you could do they, that for any sitcom, and I know that I've seen those videos for Big Bang Theory. But you could do it yeah. for you could do it for Seinfeld. You could do it for anything. It's just cringy. Like that kind of humor just really makes me. But hey, was, okay, but like that was all we had for the longest time. Like it was like like used to be TV was nothing but sitcoms. We're still so. in the segment talking about uh, the woman in the window, and we're talking about the Big Bang. <laughs> 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 okay, to be fair, this is this is not the wildest tangent we've ever taken on this show. True, true. very true. Yes, very true. Uh, that's coming to Netflix on Friday. So is something called Oxygen. I don't. I'm not sure what Oxygen is. Gabe, I haven't seen it. Um, it's from the director of Crawl and uh, The Hills Have I Eyes. Crawl. Uh, oh. Ooh, I like that. The remake. Yes, um, and it okay. stars. Oh, I can't remember Laurent. Her first name, French actress from um, Melanie. Inglorious, Melanie Laurent. Yes, from Inglorious Bastards. She played the theater yeah, owner. I love her. The- um, it seems. Uh, it seems. It seems like a very kind of small, self-contained movie. She plays someone who um, is in like a cryostasis chamber. She wakes up, doesn't know who she is or where she's at or how to get out of this thing. Um, and then it seems very, as you can imagine, from the guy who did. The Hills Have Eyes and oh, Crawl. Like it seems that. very suspenseful, scary. Uh, the trailer That's doesn't really cool. give much outside of that. There's some someone talks to her through like a speaker. Um, it looks like fun. I, I like that director. And That's and, an interesting premise. Yeah, you kind of sold me. It's in. It's French. Um, and it's in French. If 
Isn't his last name Aja? Aja, uh, yeah. That that guy? Yeah, he says yes. Okay. Ale- all right. Alexander Aja. Alexander? Yes. Alexander Aja? Yeah. So all right. of all the names you're going to get right in Hollywood, <laughs> you're going to get the name of a French director who directed yes. a, a French thriller in French. Crawl. And Crawl. Yeah. And, okay, cr- and Crawl. That's, crawl. That's that's yes. the hill you're gonna die on. That's the that's Apparently, the name you're gonna get right. Yeah, I'm right one once every ten times. <laughs> this is the one. Uh, and the other film that's coming that none of us have seen yet is called Profile, uh, and that is starring. Um, well, it's from director Timur Bekmembetov, and I know that that's correct. Um, and is a thriller that you looked up the the description of. It's about a, yes. It's it's one of those. Um, it seems to be one of those movies that takes place on a computer where it's like screen okay. recordings and, and video chats. Um, okay. And it's about a journalist who is trying to like infiltrate a terrorist organization by getting recruited over the Internet, like over a okay. Facebook profile. I, th- I want to say it's based on a true story. I think what I saw that it was based on a true story or based on a true like an article. Um, I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that, but it, it looks very interesting. I don't, I'm not sold so- on the desktop movie or, you know computer screen movie uh yeah i don't love that but i liked unfriended quite a bit i actually thought that was actually pretty scary there was another one too that uh john cho was in searching searching yeah that was good yeah Yeah. that was much better than i thought it was gonna be i watched that on a plane did you um did you ever hear what the um the easter egg in that movie was Uh -uh. so so all the you know for for people who aren't familiar it's a it's one of those computer movies where you're watching computer screen and it's all about a, a father trying to find his daughter and he's like going through news articles and this and that and watching, trying to watch like news clips to see if you can see people in the background. If you watch like the edge of the frame closely, there are like links to stories about how like they think they may have found extraterrestrial life. And that story like progresses throughout the movie till by the end, it almost like, I think, I think by the end they've proven that like aliens exist. <laughs> and so that, that is like a, like a That's kind of funny. fun little Easter egg that like that story is like going on in the background. That in like by the like progressive uh, progressively continues. Um, so I think that's really cool. The movies that we have seen that are opening this week uh, start Ooh, with wide range, wide range of emotions. Spiral uh, from the Book of Saw, and I'll go first. Um, I'm not a huge Saw guy. I saw the first one. I don't think I've seen any of them since then. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of them, kind of thing. But I went into this one relatively cold and was ready to sort of get back into the franchise or or hope I hoped that this one would almost reinvent the franchise or re-educate me on why the Saw franchise is so special. Um, and I thought that the introduction of Chris Rock and Sam Jackson was like, well, if they're doing it, you know, then maybe they got something here and this is going to be really interesting. That's a pretty massive selling but point. Yeah, it read to me or played played to me um, like every kind of saw movie that i assumed all of it is it's got multiple uh vicious gory traps uh people who get put into those traps because of things that they have done yeah uh there's a twist you know in terms of the uh who the killer is quote unquote I, i will say that without giving any of the specifics away i was pretty convinced who the killer was in this and i ended up being wrong so I will give the credit to the twist of saying that, like, when it all played out, I was like, oh, OK, I didn't I actually did not see that coming. Um, I thought that the kills, the traps in this one were fun and gory and nasty. And so if that's all you want out of your Saw movies, I think you'll get your money's worth out of it. But Chris Rock is is just woefully miscast. Like he is not he's playing a tough detective and he's supposed to be uh, he, he ratted out a cop 
at one point. So the rest of the force hates him. So he's angry at everybody. And he just like, you don't want to see Chris Rock as a performer, just being angry all the time. Like I wish he'd be funny. Um, and I think they could have tailored that character more to his strengths. Cause there are like, moments that, where you go like, Oh, there's Chris Rock. Yeah. But it wasn't enough. Mm. And then Sam Jackson, this is one of those situations where you just could tell that they had him for like two days. Yeah. You know, and so they packed in all of the scenes that they had like five scenes, you know, tops that he needed to be in. And uh, and so, yeah, I thought it was pretty uneven. It didn't necessarily work for me. And I think, Jake, you're probably worse. Than that, yeah, right? I mean, it's for me, not only was it a, a generic Saw sequel, because I'm a big fan of the first three. If you just watch the first three, it's actually a really solid horror trilogy that kind of has starts and, be- and ends a story. But ever since the original Jigsaw died, Tobin Bell it's it's all of the the entire series has come up been about like copycats. Oh, it's the copycat jigsaw right. killer. And to where it's just like, what's the what's the point? And so I felt like Spiral was not just a generic saw sequel, but I also felt like it was very neutered. Like there were only three big major traps slash kills in the movie. And in fact, uh, uh, the director told us that they kind of had to scale back the amount of horror because this was going to be a summer release instead of a horror instead of an uh, an October release. Which was very disappointing when he kind of said that. So it's just like, then what are you? Then what are we? What are we doing? Um, I would argue that like there wasn't enough like of, of what you know the the, 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 the the plot is never what people have gone to the Saw movies for. Like they've always gone for the gore and the and the and the thrills and the kills. And I feel like there wasn't enough of that. To me, it was this was more of a cop movie than a horror movie. It is um, heavy on the cop movie, and you know, so this is this is kind of. In that sense, it was it was a pretty massive disappointment. And my God, was Chris Rock bad in this? And I like Chris Rock, but like, I mean, the fact that again, another glaring thing is the director told us that Chris Rock didn't even know how to like pull out a gun. Like, how 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 do you get to set playing a detective and you haven't convincingly figured out how to pull a gun yet? You're Chris right. Rock, I guess. Yeah, you got other things to do. Um, all right, so let's shift over to a movie that works very well uh, yeah. for us, which is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Clearly, we are Snyder fans on this podcast. We've had him on as a guest and uh, are big fans of his work. He's been in the DC universe for a long period of time. I was very happy to see him freed from the DC universe. Um, for, you know, for better or for worse, the design of those films are more serious and more. He was going for something a little bit more operatic uh, with this. He seems to go right back to his roots of dawn of the dead and his uh, his no holds barred horror and it's a great mix of two genres that you didn't expect to see together which would be the zombie apocalypse and a casino heist he puts together a really great team of mercenaries uh, led by dave batista who are going into las vegas and, and las vegas is overrun with zombies and it just it was just to me a total blast like i had so much fun with this movie from the very get-go uh, they have a, a really fun explanation for how the patient X zombie, you know, the first zombie gets out. Really funny uh, introduction of the zombies to Vegas. The opening credits are fantastic. And um, it's just one of those situations where as the movie played out, I cared as much about the zombies uh, because Zach does a couple of things to really elevate them as characters <laughs> that as I did versus uh, the people who were in there. Uh, trying to get the money out for different reasons. And there's plenty of surprises, you know, a bunch of twists about where the things are going. It's not just, I, I brought this up to Dave Batista in the junket. I was like, you know, there's definitely an eighties version of this movie where oh, it's yeah. just a shoot 'em up, you know, like 
Schwarzenegger in a in a casino just blowing away zombies. But I thought that there was so much character development and nuance and 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 storylines that I was invested in that it's it takes that concept yeah. to the next level. And so uh, I, I was thrilled to see Snyder get back to this, and I, I just thought it was so much fun. There there are a couple of moments where you really do have to question. Wait, who am I cheering for here? Because like obviously humans are humans, and you want them to do well, and you like Dave Bautista, and you like a lot of members of his team, but like. There are some that he throws some elements in there with the zombies where you go like, oh, I kind of feel bad for him. Like, yeah, you know, yes. like, and, and also some of the some of the humans are assholes. So like, maybe I am cheering for the for the zombies. It's I thought it was a blast. Two and a half hours. I thought goes by like that. I didn't yep. realize it was two and a half hours till right before I pressed play, and I kind of thought like, damn, two and a half hours for a for a zombie movie. Uh, I I could have done a whole another hour. I just thought it was a blast from from the first frame. Even even the 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 sort of dip in tone of uh, in terms of like we got to get the team together was a lot of fun. Um, everything, yeah, I'm with you. Everything you said is 100% right. This is just an absolute blast. It also just, it seems like Zach had a lot of fun making this movie. Like, I just picture him on set smiling and running around like a kid with his cameras. And, uh, and it, it was, the whole movie's a blast. And, uh, I look forward to it coming on Netflix because I'm going to press play on it again. I actually think I'm going to go to the theaters this weekend. Ah, um, yeah, that's a good call. So for a week, uh, an exclusive run, Netflix is letting him put it into 600 theaters. And I asked him about that Which in my massive. interview. And he said, you know, he goes, Netflix has the ability, and this kind of blew my mind. Netflix has the ability to push one button and then this movie would be available in 200 million homes. Mm. Um, but they are holding off on doing it so that it can have a theatrical run. That's cool. I think that's really smart for Netflix as this moves forward because it, it builds up good cred with yeah. filmmakers who can point to that model then yeah. and say like, okay, well, you did yeah. this for Snyder. You did it for Quaron. Yeah. You did it for Scorsese. Yeah. Um, and they um, and entered into a deal with Cinemark, right? That's, that is a massive, yes. Um, that is a yep. massive, massive chain. Um, and now, and, and if it does well, you know, AMC is going to look at that and go, son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, well, and like it does a great thing where one, if it's a good movie and you believe in it and you do that, it gives you word of mouth for people to click on it the next week because the mm-hmm. the, the people who are kind of already sold on it are going to go to a theater and then they're going to be the ones who tell everybody else. Yeah, definitely. You can watch it at home. Definitely watch it. I mean, it's it seems like a win win for them. Yep. It's interesting, too, that Netflix can do that because their subscriber base is so strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, HBO Max did not put the Snyder Cut into theaters because they needed people to subscribe to HBO Max. That's the whole play. But yeah. Netflix is like, we have you already. Yeah. Uh, You're so here it is for a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go to go, theaters. Go pay for something that you already have you access to. Netflix gets a cut of that? They must get a some cut of it, right? Well, they're the studio, right? So they would yeah. get, like, yeah. any sort of studio they're, cut yeah. with the theater. I imagine they okay, have the same... That's... Studio deal yeah, or something same, similar. Since it's only yeah, one yeah. week run, I'm sure it's not as hefty. But okay, so one of those other hybrid deals uh, going to HBO Max, but also coming to limited theaters is Angelina Jolie as a firefighter uh, in Those Who Wish Me Dead. This is from director Tyler Sheridan, who has done such terrific films as uh, Wind River, and he wrote Sicario, wrote um, Hell, or High Hell or High Water, which is a tremendous, tremendous film. Um, I am afraid that for me personally, the bar that uh, Taylor Sheridan raised himself uh, meant that this movie missed it. Um, I just expect much more from him. This is a perfectly fine movie. Uh, I think Angelina Jolie is good in it. Uh, She ends up becoming so there's a a kid whose father is on the run from really bad people for things that he's done. Um, The kid events eventually ends up on his own and Angelina Jolie kind of encounters him in these in these woods and the bad guys are still coming after him, so she has to protect him kind of thing. 
We've seen this plot done a million times before. One of the elements they try to, to add to it is because she's a firefighter. There's there's a blaze going on in the forest. Um, I just, you know, again, with Taylor Sheridan, I expected a little bit more from it. I, I liked a little bit more of the supplemental characters that... Um, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Who plays the Punisher? Um, oh, uh, John Bernthal. Thank you. Uh, his character was really good. And um, the girl who plays his wife in this uh, was really good. I liked their uh, subplot. And again, Jolie was fine, but Jake, you brought up the, the best uh, comment about Angelina Jolie in this movie. And then once you said it, I couldn't not see it. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. Look, so so I, I liked the movie more than you. I didn't I didn't love it. I thought it was a perfectly fine, like for me, a seven out of ten. Like mm. um, it's it's going to be available for people on both HBO Max and theaters. And I would tell people like this is a really solid Friday night HBO Max movie wouldn't necessarily tell you to get the family together and go out to the theaters to see it but like I think if you watch it on HBO Max at home with a glass of wine you're going to be perfectly fine my biggest knock against the movie is actually Angelina Jolie and that she looks too much like a movie star in the middle of this movie she is supposed to play a small town Montana firefighter oftentimes in a lot of scenes in the middle of a fire like a raging forest fire and at no point does she ever not look like perfectly made up Hollywood Angelina Jolie. Like yeah. they didn't show, they didn't like grunge her up. They didn't dirty her up. They didn't, I mean, I don't even know how many scenes she really has without makeup on. Like there, like there's, there are flashbacks. She has flashbacks of this, this fire that she fought. And even in those moments, she's like where it closes in on her face. Yeah. She is perfectly <laughs> yes. made up Hollywood yeah. red carpet Angelina Jolie. <laughs> yes. And I just never for once saw her as anything other than, oh, look, there's Angelina Jolie fighting a firefighter. Like, like there, there she's fighting a fire. Like, there, she, there, she, there she goes. <laughs> yeah. there she to, go, go, Angelina. Like, her, I just, yeah. I, I, it, it took me out of the movie a lot. In her defense, in the film's defense, I haven't seen the film, but perhaps it's impossible not to. I've only seen her <laughs> once in person at a red carpet. And yeah. uh, I believe she was floating, and yeah. uh, there was some sort of light emitting. So it might just be it no, might just I, be impossible. She, no, she she has she has the capacity to to fit into the film, whether it's girl yeah. interrupted or you know, uh, uh, Gia, Gia, Gia yeah. or even even something like like Gone in sixty seconds, where she like it kind of felt like she fit in with that group of guys. It was a long time ago. Um, was like, sure, but 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 my point being is that like she's always looked like a movie star. But she's also also picked roles or or transformed herself in such a way right. that she. Not, I'm not saying that like she's not attractive in these films because she's she, obviously she's a beautiful person, but you have to fit your your look has to fit the role that you're playing, and if you look like you're ready to go and walk down the red carpet of the Oscars, then to me that also implies that you don't look like you're ready to fight a forest fire in the middle of Montana. And I feel like the well, two Jake, don't you've just coincide. decided my outfit whenever I'm walking the red carpet at the Oscars. <laughs> Firefighter. You know what? If you if you look like half as good as Angelina Jolie's does doing it, then you're going to be just hey. fine. I'm also really fascinated by you know I think we spend a lot of time looking at the breadth of someone's career and when certain films fall in different places. And she said something in an interview that I found really fascinating because she went off and directed a couple of films, like three films back to back. And are you going to quote your own down. interview? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, no oh. I'm not going to. <laughs> I thought you were going to no. something in an interview. It was yeah, mine. she said something really fascinating. There was this um, brilliant question said, that someone brought up. She said, right now, um, and, and it implied, 
because of what's going on with her family. Like her and Brad Pitt are in the midst of this divorce and they are fighting for custody for their kids. And so she said, I can't be away from my home life right now for the amount of time that it would take for me to focus on directing. So right now I just have to take acting gigs that need me for, you know, two months and I can go in, do the job and then be back home sort of thing. And you know that now in the context of now, right? But if we look back at Angelina Jolie's career in 10 years from now and we look at this period, no one's going to really remember that like, oh, well, this is the reason why she took these random, you know, uh, HBO Max type movies. And so I'm always yeah, she fascinated didn't make by this why thinking it was going to be an HBO Max movie like she like, no. you know, this is. But, and, and, and it's a prestige director or, you know, it's still, you know, it's. Oh, OK. So you no, thought like, it might have been a Taylor Sheridan play? Well, I mean, well, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think anyone like whether you like or don't like this movie, I don't think anyone's going to look at this movie in 10 years and go, why did she do that? OK. OK, that's like, like maybe it didn't live up to what you wanted it to be, but it's not like looking at Al Pacino and Jack and Jill. Also, she's picked a few movies that are like this, like The Bone Collector mm-hmm. and Taking Lives. And the only reason why I know this is because. Our blend game this week is Angelina Jolie blend. That so, was hey. smooth AF, dude. Thank you very much. And so we'll transition into this, where we're going to pick our favorite Angelina Jolie movies. And this is really fascinating. Take you guys behind the curtain. Uh, when we were starting up the show, Jake said something that was exactly what I thought as I was going over her filmography, which is I don't love a lot of Angelina Jolie's movies. Um, and Gabe was mentioning the fact that like. She's a movie star, without a doubt. You know, by every definition, she is a movie star. But I can't point to a number of, of movies of hers that I'm like, oh, yeah, I absolutely love that film. And so I'm going to go with the one that I think is the most fun um, for reasons that are the movie is fun, but it's also the fun of seeing them together. And it's Mr. And Mrs. Smith. That's what I picked, too. That's your pick also? Yeah. Um, it's just a fun movie. Like it works really well. Their chemistry is great. The action in it is great. It's a fun premise. You know, each of them are spies, but the other one doesn't know that the other one is a spy. They're a married couple. Um, and then over the course of the story, they are pitted against each other. Vince Vaughn is like a weird concept. Q is great. Great great concept. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Terrific concept. Favreau in it. Uh, no, I just assume if Vince Vaughn is there. Do you agree, though, that my my biggest and I real and I love honestly love Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Yeah, I do think it falls apart in the final act whenever they team up together. Yes, I, I the, the film is at its best when they are trying to kill each other. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, but but that almost became if you're not going to kill one of them off, where does it, where does that concept? Yeah, go? exactly. How do you yeah, right? Yeah. And I, I bet you that those two had a situation like with Statham and The Rock of like, I can only take four hits and he can only take three <laughs> yeah. and I'm not going to lose any of these well, so, okay, so I disagree because like there's a if, if I were in granted, it's been a few years since I've seen this movie. Like if I remember right, like Brad kind of gets his ass kicked by her during a lot of the fight scenes. Like he right. he he holds his own and stuff. But like, I, you know, I, I if I were, a, a, you know, judging a boxing match. And had to watch that the fight scene that they have throughout their house. I'd probably give the win to her. 
Yeah, I, I guess you can make that argument for sure. Let's since we both picked Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Gabe, do you have one? Did you pick one? I know yes, you don't like I went. I'll, I'll move quickly because I do know we gotta we gotta wrap up. I went and I told you this before. I kind of went nostalgia, which I like to do with these. Oh yeah. And for me, um, the a film that I had on repeat was Tomb Raider. Her is Laura Croft. Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah. Um, I haven't Perfect seen it casting. in years. I can't necessarily say it's a good film, but I always had a blast with it growing up. Uh, and in, when I think of Angelina Jolie. I think of Laura Croft and that really fun as a fan of the video game, someone who grew up playing, you know, like PlayStation one games and it was just a bunch of like triangles. She somehow perfectly resembled Laura Croft. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it didn't feel, it didn't feel sort of disconnected the way a lot of video game movies do. Um, and it's, it was a fun, fun adventure film from the, when did that come out? 2000? 2001? Early two, th- like very early, like yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe even 2000. Yeah. Yeah. It's right around that time. Good time. Yeah. Um, she she has a movie called Pushing Tin that's worth checking out too. It's Mike Newell and it's uh her and Billy Bob. And, yeah, Billy Bob, uh, John Cusack and Kate Blanchett, which is worth checking out. Oh, wow. Like um, we think that she's a good actress though, right? Yeah. All oh, of she's great. Yeah, she's, yeah, a, she's actress. a great actress. Her, so is it just the choices? Is it her choices? If I her is Maleficent, I think is she's great. She's fantastic. Like okay. I know that that's just like kind of a Disney movie, but like she's fantastic in Maleficent. She plays like this. She brings that superstar quality that she needs for that role, but she also kind of disappears and becomes this sort of otherworldly yeah. creature, as it were. I, I think she's a tremendous performer. And as we discussed beforehand, I think she's just, for as long as I've been alive, she's just always been a movie star, mm-hmm. doing movie yeah. star roles, until she decided to direct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, audience picks. Corey Chichizola from Cinema Blend. Uh, Jeff Maiman. They both went with Girl Interrupted, all the way back into Angelina's early days yeah. of her career. Rachel Ho says, she's made much better movies, but she'll always be Lara Croft to me. Brandon Moore also picks Tomb Raider. Uh, Christian L. Hestis went with First They Killed My Father as a directorial uh, choice for Angelina Jolie. John Palmer went with Wanted. Damien McDonald said Hackers. Hackers is great. Uh, that was the, at, another nostalgia pick I almost went with. That's a good one. Uh, at Vibrant Dove 6Q went with Gia. And Randy Buss said Maleficent. So, I mean, picks all across the board in terms of her her career. And I can, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I just saw next week's. Um, great, you know, it speaks to her range, obviously. But I just, I can't shake the fact that I just don't love any of the films. Um, for next week, you can reach out on Twitter using hashtag... Zack Snyder blend. We are going to be picking our favorite films by Zack Snyder. Uh, you can let us know your pick via email at realblendatcinemablend.com. And of course, you can go on social media and and use the hashtag, hashtag Zack Snyder blend uh, and tell us your favorite Zack Snyder film. Uh, no review this week on the show, so make sure you drop us a review on Apple Podcast. Do us a huge favor. Tell your friends about the show. It's the best way for us to... Uh, someone tweeted something like that, that like podcasts live and die on word of mouth. And so the yeah. best way that you guys can help us grow the show is by telling your movie-loving friends that this is where you like to come on a weekly basis, maybe even twice a week if you subscribe to the premium episode. And again, to remind you guys, our next premium episode is going to be the two-film challenge. We're doing it for screenwriters, and you can get access to all of this by going to bit.ly backslash realblendpremium and signing up. I think it's $5 a month. And you get uh, multiple free episodes 
Plus an ad, well, not free episodes. I guess it's five dollars a month. Uh, but you get an ad free show experience. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and a follow newsletter us on social media. Don't sell short. Sean and, writes a and a newsletter. That's yeah. that's right. I do. Right, a Violet newsletter it has uh, uh, movie streaming recommendations. I bring some news items to the point, and I discuss uh, topics that are important to me, and I think important to you guys. Um, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show has an account at real blend we'll be back next week um when are we talking punishments oh next week we can probably do next week yeah should be here that makes sense we gotta do it because i have a i've got fellowship lined up you know if if, uh if i were like a um a bookie your knees would be broken by now (laughs) do you know the here's the thing too and i'd always thought i had to commit to uh a four-hour sit you should but i don't I just have to watch it. So I can do it in 30 minute segments. Um, so that, that might be the way that I do it. I might break it up. Like so you, so you're really days. excited for the Amazon series. Yes. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> but also yes. So. All right. Till next week. Uh, someone said we have to come up with a different Dunkirk. I think it is time that we sort of, it, yeah, I thought we agreed on Spielberg on a Spielberg one. Yeah. We just, I like, yeah, but like, can we solidify like which Kevin's of not here, so that we, we should... can't. I don't know that we can make this decision now. Make the decision right now, uh, but right, I think so it should Andy be Spielberg. Spielberg. I think it should be Spielberg. Minority Report. Jurassic Park. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.